Hi again! In this episode, I had the honor of talking with Alex Woodward, and on her capstone, quote, sex for survival, colon, prostitution, poverty, and inequality, end quote. She amazes me, and the work that she did on this capstone is not only thorough, but thoughtful, and she goes into depth of the accompanying theoretical and moral arguments on prostitution, as well as the different arguments on prostitution policy, and in her paper you can see which one she selects as the most um, robust way to respect the dignity of every human being, as well as to alleviate poverty. I hope you enjoy this episode. Alright, hi Alex. Hello. Hello. Um, thank you for being on this conversation with me. And I was wondering if you can start us off with an introduction of yourself uh, and however you want to take that. Okay. Um, my name is Alex Woodward. I am a senior at Washington and Lee and will be starting Divinity School at Harvard next fall. Mm -hmm. um, and I have studied um, the poverty studies and human capabilities minor here and my poverty capstone last year was on um, policy surrounding prostitution in the U.S. Yeah, thank you. And so, Alex, uh, that's exactly kind of what I, what I want to dive into today of um, your work on prostitution policy. And I was wondering if you could start off the conversation with like, how does like the literature and even, or maybe, and if this is different, um, how does uh, society define prostitution? What does that in include? So that's really interesting, um, and I'll start with definitions. So the definition of prostitution is like the selling of sexual acts for money, um, where on the other hand, you have this definition of human trafficking, more specifically sex trafficking, where it is um, forcing someone into sexual acts, possibly for money, but against their will or like the movement of people uh, within a space, it could be nationally, transnationally, locally, um, for sexual acts as well. Mm. Um, and those two things, unfortunately, in my opinion, are separate, um, though I don't think they need to be. Um, and typically, as I have come to understand in my own opinion, that the separation of these is more um, of a moral definition, where we see people being able to like empathize or sympathize or morally excuse sex trafficking since it's against the will where we view prostitution as um, the prostitute's choice gotcha. um, to uh, engage in those acts. Um, the literature surrounding prostitution has been around for like a while. Um, mostly it was picked up when feminist theories came about, um, very specifically Catherine McKinnon who is well known for her prostitution writings, but um, you know, since the 60s or so, we've gotten a wide array, especially as we see waves of feminism come through what the literature says. Um, and they kind of go in a bunch of different directions from full decriminalization, partial decriminalization, and what's practiced currently in the US is um, full criminalization, but very specifically in the past, it's been like arresting the prostitutes or escorts or the person engaging in the sexual act um, where the buyer tends to get off more frequently than the person um, who is being paid. Gotcha. And so, and I just want to make sure I'm hearing this right. So, like, even though both parties currently in the U.S. 
are are being criminalized, right? The the extent to which they're criminalized are different depending on if it's the buyer versus I hear the supplier or like and oftentimes or could you also kind of like uh talk more about like the supplier is it always like the woman themselves or is it there like a, a quote unquote like a pimp figure that is involved there and what that looks like so this idea of a pimp has very much been sensationalized mm. by like police or detective shows they are like very existent um and i feel like more specifically within sex trafficking especially if it's of minors or um, people from foreign countries into America, um, as well as when it relates to like slave labor um, rather than sexual acts. But yes, pimps or johns are involved often with um, like prostitution as well, as well as madams, like women are often pimping out these people as well. Mm -hmm. um, but there are plenty of people who prostitute themselves without having like um, some kind of protective, with quotations, medium in which they would be paying some kind of fee for protection or like clientele as well. Mm. Um, as well as, you know, when you think about escort services, you know, it things that have a slightly more visible front to them rather than being like a completely black market um, experience will have like an interface or some kind of like business medium gotcha. as well is that is that also similar to like a front or more so when you say medium yes a front for sure it very much depends on if like i think a lot of us may be familiar with um the back pages scandal um where if you scrolled through, you would see, or like some people claim this is happening on Wayfair where things were charged like $100,000 for something that was um, not a value and people just knew that was another human. So you have like technological fronts. Gosh, um, yeah. Unfortunately, you can look at like OnlyFans or Pornhub in the same way versus um, like a physical person that knows the clientele mm -hmm. so it's just very dependent on how large the operation is or um like what the service is being sold okay gotcha as well as ones that are a little bit more minute because we hear about um is particularly um asians or asian americans um engaging in prostitution of that sort um, with like massage parlors as mm -hmm. the storefront though massage may actually be going on at the day their illicit cells at night or whenever mm -hmm. are fronted by massage parlors yeah and so yeah definitely what um what this conversation is now making me think about is there are there are fronts in which like the monetary transactions are being made but you're also alluding to kind of like um porn sites in which like that is necessarily kind of like depending on the type of the site it's free for the public, right? And how that informs um, a lot of the percep perceptions and uh, preconceptions of what um, uh, either black, indigenous, people of color, um, how they're represented as like, uh, like more so like their sexual capacities, like, and how that becomes racialized into sexual fetishes. So could you say more on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is somewhat an unpopular opinion, um, and I think it very much comes from like 
the information you're working with. Mm -hmm. um, I think porn is bad to be very straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, and though people think porn can be empowering or um, sexually liberating, it they're very much is built on the connotations of like women's submission, like gender inequality, as well as like sexual inequality um, and a million other intersectional issues that we face. And thus, like until everyone is equal, like it should not be apparent. And we very much see that in the way that porn is hypersexualized, mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, um, abusive practices that becomes kinks or fetishes such as choking or mm -hmm hitting, etc. Things that dehumanize the other party as like a form of control, mm -hmm. um, building on those fetishes. But definitely race is a big one because in prostitution itself, as well as sex trafficking, you see that um, disproportionately women of color um, are affected by this. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe that it's um, has to do with like class divides and socioeconomic status as well. But we see the marketing of these women as like, I call them disposable receptacles in this because it is a coercive and usually, well not usually, but a one-time act transactionally. It's not a continuous, like you would have to pay again. Um, there was a really great quote that I found in, I think it was probably Catherine McKinnon. It's that racial hatred is sexualized by making every racial stereotype into a sexual fetish. Mm -hmm. um, and this practice is very much connected to like white imperialism yeah. and colonialism as it was practiced. Um, I mean, if you think about Columbus, just in general, like invading the Americas, many indigenous people were raped. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had these classifications of like mulattoes and other like mixed race children and it plays into this colorism spectrum that we you know use to define now as the proximity to whiteness mm -hmm. but with these this idea of dominance um in like the white male or just male gendered sexuality is very much rooted in racial history and so, you know, when it comes to black women that are being prostituted, you may be like angry or resistant or like hood or ghetto um, or a Latina with an attitude or a white woman who acts like daddy's little girl mm -hmm. and things that allow a man to place control onto the person that is being coerced into sexual acts. Uh, via money and so you know these fetishes are repeated because it's it makes you money like mm -hmm. this is what people are engaging in and it's a fantasy at that point um, despite this not being someone's real personality um, or an honest portrayal of who they are or the right. culture they come from mm -hmm. it's like a it's a it's a construct of what desire in in that framework like what what it seems like it ought to be when that's not the case at all. It's just this, like the pornography website seems to be in a way like a market, right? And they're responding to what, you know, um, it's consumers want, but it's also gearing towards depending on hashtags, what comes up when you search, you know, what's on the main page, right? 
as what one might want, you know? And I feel like, yeah, it's, it's hard because I, going back to your point of like, I don't, I think where you say porn is, it cannot be a productive thing in, in like, or it can't be as empowering if it's going to keep up with this inequality that it creates between, um, men or like this consumer and seeing um women usually women um uh participants in uh in sex work or prostitution as like an object right quotes there to fulfill a sexual um, like a very male-centric sexual desire um and the and to go back to your connection of like how these desires are trace their way back to white supremacy to imperialism is I think a really, really hard thing to to now try to disentangle from, right? One of the like foundational theories that I kind of worked with, um, and it's present in literally all studies, or it, or it should be, um, is Edward Seed's um, theory of orientalizing. Mm. And so like the fetishism of like people of other races or ethnicities or languages, um, is very much built on this othering of Western to non-Western cultures. And I think in that sense, like being aware that that is the case should be disentangled uh, when it comes to prostitution, because if you're going to legislate fully criminal, fully decriminalized, partially decriminalized on either side, you very much need to know what is going, like have intended consequences for what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And knowing statistically that women of color are disproportionately affected, um, this use of orientalizing or uh, white supremacy is really important for knowing like which policy to choose to protect those minorities. Yeah. Um, and so in this idea of like orientalizing, um, without you know knowing the root of why people of color are being disproportionately affected, um, and what othering um, and the separation of the East from the West has mm -hmm. done for like both neoliberalism um, and globalization when it comes to then like sex trafficking and prostitution within these places, um, because it is a global phenomena, is really important because we see like tons of white men go on vacation to like the South Pacific mm -hmm. or Southeast Asia or honestly anywhere in Asia because brothels are far less like regulated by the governments and so they go on literal sex vacations to engage in sex with minors and women of other um, ethnicities because it has become a, a sexual fetish even though literally some of these men are like registered sex offenders and assault and domestic violence like in the US. Yeah. And so that doesn't, that, I guess, because of the lack of reg, or sorry, regulation um, in these countries, that, I guess, uh, being labeled or being a sex offender doesn't translate, it doesn't, like, there's no way to know whether your customer or your client in these countries, um, whether you know your, your, uh, your customer is a sex offender, right? It's just based off of the transaction. Um, yeah, uh, the only thing that would probably keep you from being able to engage in these things if you are on like 
a no-fly list within the U.S. Okay. Or you have broken some sort of law in another country. Mm-hmm. Like if you were engaged um, in sexual acts and a raid occurred in that country, because they do, there is like some attempt to stop, um, particularly the prostitution and ex- um, exploitation of minors. If you were caught in one of those raids, like the likelihood of you being allowed back in the country or like prosecuted within that country is high. Um, but like within America, you know, your local pedophile or sex offender who is like registered, that no one's background checking these people when they come into like a massage parlor or find someone on the corner. Like no one. Right. There's not that infrastructure or no. like, like it's like what I'm, I'm one of my questions is then is like, Oh, like what, how, how would we make that infrastructure? Right. And that's, that's one of like the, the questions in producing policy and protections. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. Um, and so with prostitution, I feel like it affects, it affects both, um, like both the male and female perceptions of prostitution, um, as a way of how we see and view women because the way women are depicted um, through prostitution, either in you know porn, in the media, or by the way our, uh, how the US criminalizes it, right? And so could you speak to the ways in which prostitution communicates the sex inequality um, to, to, to like either like a, a man or a woman um, as an outsider, like as a non-participant in any of these, just like as bystander, yeah. Okay, so definitely for like the average American, particularly um, being that we are like generations removed, but descendant from very like um, WASP or Anglican um, generations prior that have a lot of morality determined by their Judeo-Christian beliefs, Mm -hmm. um, this view of sex is very very much something that should be privatized and is very heteronormative very cisgendered um and in that sense you know it is is deviant to partake in sexual acts outside of marriage or before marriage or with any extramarital parties and so people that don't engage in it are very much um displeased particularly because these are the more noticeable factors with the women or like the smaller number of men or particularly gay men who are involved in um, prostituting themselves uh, due to it them being seen as like the sinful party in this, some like mm-hmm. a seductress. You very much have that typology involved in like demonizing these people. Like mm-hmm. this is their fault. Mm-hmm. Not some someone that is preying on the weaker party who has a gambling addiction, a sex addiction. Right. All someone, the structural things that inform their decision. Yes. Or lack thereof, yeah. Yes. Um and so like typically it is male parties like buying the prostitution, not that women can't or don't. Um you just very much see um, acts of violence that occur there or um, stalking anything of that sort that is violent um, from men aimed towards women and it's very much built on this idea that women are possessions mm-hmm. um, and that they belong to other people um, and that their sexuality must also be monitored and controlled mm-hmm. um, if not by their husbands or their communities definitely by the state um, 
And so, you know, acting with, with outside of these sexual and gender norms is very much like disapproved by people that ascribe to the norms. And though it seems problematic because it is, it is not for the reasons that it is problematic, such as poverty or racial um, issues or classism. It's the fear that like you could be sucked in, this could be your child in the future. Um, because I think inherently we all understand that like it is a violent situation for people involved, but also we see it as dirty mm -hmm. um, or sinful and not correct. And unfortunately, that type of attitude has been pushed in an unproductive manner for policy, where we'd rather cover it up and not see it rather than make people leave. Mm -hmm. uh, not forcibly, but like by offering them opportunities Alternatives, yeah. to do something that isn't sex work. Yeah. I, yeah, thank you. I, it's like I see a loop in being that they're, in order to, in order to make prostitution um, at least have all the protections required so that people, for, the, for, the, for any sex worker, they have the right to you know, take themselves out of that position and not feel any punishment or coercion or undue influence in that decision um, is to create more protections, potentially enforced by a state you know, um, power. But then what you're also really uh, emphasizing here and I'm glad you are is that like people see it as dirty and they're not going to try to protect something that's dirty or that they see as morally wrong right because they're they want to discourage it but in discouraging it we're leaving still the violence um kind of feathering right and so yeah that is a very complicated um that's a very complicated issue and so what do you think then is a potential or what do you see is the best approach to policy that respects, you know, all parties, all their like all persons' dignity, as well as like um, protects them? What could that look like on like a policy level? So I very much believe that like the center of any prostitution or sex work policy needs to be built around um, the idea of consent, mm. um, and if you look at Marilyn Fry or Catherine McKinnon's work on feminist theory in general, but also how they look at like female sexuality and sex work. Um, consent cannot be coerced, and that includes in the U.S. legal definition, buy money. Mm -hmm. And so, in that sense, like prostitution is a like null and void occupation; like it should not exist. Um, and that is a very much later discussion when people are all equal, but. In my opinion, with consent, if we view that other people cannot give consent because of problematic power dynamics, um, no woman, even if she has like chosen to become a prostitute, can give her consent to sexual acts because these are strangers, and that's not always an issue. But if it is someone paying for you with the idea that you are then possessed for a certain amount of time or up to some like obligation um, it does not seem like true consent and that goes somewhat the same way for the other party too like you can't buy consent um, so this is where I think buyers 
should be punished um, and not there are going to be people that want off engage in prostitution or a couple times um, you can't separate them from the people that you know constantly harass or assault the women they are engaged with these women are subject to violence all the time mm-hmm. um, you know addiction is a, a huge problem and if that's partially driving it there's very much like rehabilitative efforts that should be in place um, you know I'm not advocating that they receive the like capital punishment or anything but policy being built off should protect the vulnerable and not those causing oppression Mm -hmm. and the best model Mm -hmm. i've seen for that is the nordic model where the buyer is criminalized the state also attempts to regulate um, prostitution and sex work knowing it goes on because they can't catch everyone that engages with it but you offer they have free and very accessible health care which would help monitor stds any kind of like communicable diseases that would have occurred um, any kind of injury like there are things that are readily available to make sure that the vulnerable populations and every party involved is safe and healthy mm-hmm. there's a big emphasis on birth control and like reproductive rights as well as contraception being widely available if it's not like a medicated one mm-hmm. um, and in this sense I think even in certain countries they've pushed for like licenses or a registration for people engaging in sex work. That one, I'm not too decided on how I feel about it. Um, but you know, in general, there are protections and like ways to promote a healthier sexual environment. Yeah. Um, but in that sense, you all like if neither party is seen as an equal. I just do not see how it can continue to be like a productive part of society. Yeah, what one that has like actual justice for every party involved. Um, I yes, to return to uh, this topic on consent, part of it, part of what uh, creates like valid consent is like, the inform, like having it being an informed choice, right? And I think. What is missing real in in like potential transactions is that the uh, the sex worker is not completely informed of whether or not their client is carrying uh, STD or something that can um, harm them after they have engaged in um, their transaction. So, what might that look like? If like how what would a what might a transaction look like if there were to be in robust informed um, like, I guess resources, or if you, if you know what I mean. Uh, like, if sex work were to continue, like, what would? Yes. Okay. Um. This very much gets into the idea of privacy as well, mm-hmm. which complicates this. Um, there are, you know, and very much I believe this is somewhat rooted in like anti uh, homophobia and other things. But when you have a, a sexual disease that causes major health complications like HIV AIDS and you have to disclose it to your partner any sexual partner or you can be held culpable um, in the court of law and those kind of things I think would apply for um, sex workers already Um, but I can't imagine particularly because people in the U.S. are very opposed to 
like constant um, STD testing and they mm -hmm. definitely don't do it after every sexual partner. Um, so in that sense, like uninformed carrying gets really complicated. But if you're aware of some kind of communicable disease, um, most prostitution, it's particularly pimps where the women themselves will require you to wear a condom. If they have access to birth control, they would likely be on it. Um, I just cannot foresee in any manner where we would be able to disclose that kind of information mm -hmm. about like what diseases you carry. I mean, if you have like the flu, I would hope you wouldn't go, but that's very different than like carrying chlamydia. Mm -hmm. um, and other diseases that you can get from just like contact surfaces rather than like very particular um, like sexual contact. Um, I just think like through HIPAA and our American desire to not disclose this kind of information that would never be something thoroughly involved in a market that we don't deem legitimate as yeah, well. Yeah, gotcha. And so are there already societies practicing the Nordic model that um, you've outlined? It's very much been um, practiced in like Nordic countries, Sweden, Finland, Norway. Um, England is partaking, they're the ones that have to registry on sex workers, um, which is far more complicated than I think we have time to discuss or I've done enough research on. They have that instituted in some manner. I think there are some continental countries that have also taken it up. I mean, it is very much not practiced in on Western countries. Mm -hmm. um, the other ones that have done something similar or like a full decriminalization, which I kind of view as like the problem with decriminalization is a good litmus test for it is New Zealand mm. um, and Australia where they have done what a lot of people are calling for in the U.S. which is a full decriminalization but you've seen um, a rise in violence and things that are unintended consequences because you want women to be free to make their money and not stigmatized or judged but it has caused um, safety and violence issues um, within the country. Gotcha. And for for the Nordic countries that um, have been practicing this Nordic model, um, do you happen to know if they in general have less sex inequality than in the U.S. and um, if that is um, almost like not the chicken and the egg question, but um, is it is it potentially that the mechanism that countries with less sex inequality might have m more respectful relations when it comes to prostitution? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I I do believe that they are they very much have um, higher sexual equality. If you were to look at statistics, and uh, these are just numbers, not people um, speaking, they have a smaller wage gap, if not an equal one. Um, women are very highly represented in almost every occupation. Um, the problem with this, and, and it's one that we have to be very aware of, is the sexual equality is pretty great, but these are almost like racially and ethnically homogenous countries. Mm -hmm. And so it would be very much harder Though I believe sexual equality very much will push many people out of prostitution because they no longer need that as a form of income um, with racial fetishes and um, just 
consistent disenfranchisement and like socioeconomic gaps caused by um, histories of colonization um, and imperialism and capitalism, um, it would be very difficult, and I'm not sure it would look the same if we were to like have the same kind of racial composition um, in Sweden or Norway or so, like what that would have turned out to look like. But to give it to them, they also have a really productive prison system. Mm. Um, where and, they're, and productive, what do you mean by productive? Productive, it's very much not in the US sense like a form mass. of mass incarceration. Yes. Uh, the yes. goal is not um, punishment as much as it is rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And so people that are breaking any sort of law are put into much nicer facilities mm -hmm. that are way smaller and there's a very small population of people within the criminal system. And so for drug addictions, addictions in general, um, et cetera, like you can seek out treatment as well rather than like forced incarceration. Yes. And so that I also believe would very much inform the way we handle buyers um, as well as women. Mm -hmm. um, especially if while in the job they, you know, and I feel like this is, I'm not too sure about how it plays out in Europe, but in America, you know, the use of drugs or anything else that a, a companies like the stress of being impoverished. Yeah. Thank you for tying that conversation in to, with, with the experiences of people who, um, who experience incarceration. Um, and so... I feel like maybe we can end off with one, one last question. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, this I guess is more a personal, personal question, but like how do you see your research with your capstone paper informing your future work, um, or at least education on, on these issues? Yeah, um, this has been something I've been very passionate about since I was in high school. Um, my, the church I went to growing up is a longtime partner of Love 146, which has done some great work in Southeast Asia. Um, but my shepherd internship was in South Africa with a group working to rehabilitate women that wanted to leave prostitution. And in that job, I very much saw every intersectional issue manifest itself. Um, and I loved the structure. It was, you know, this one specified in culinary training because the tourism market in South Africa is not going to die anytime soon, which gives you viable job skills to market as well as psychosocial help mm -hmm. um, with cases, um, your own well-being, et cetera. And then at the time it wasn't complete, but now it is the halfway house um, for women that needed to leave violent situations. Many of these women were mothers, um, single women because you know, marriage is expensive to go to a court. It's also far away and difficult um, within these townships. But I loved getting to talk to these women, um, very much humanizing the experience, and then seeing that this is not like these people had dreams, they had desires, wants and needs. They wanted husbands or boyfriends um, or partners, and they wanted to be good parents. Um, this was just a means of making sure they could put food on the table. I would love to continue this kind of work in the U.S., um, whether that be involvement with a nonprofit or in some future academic setting where um, I can discuss morality, philosophy, and very much like feminist theory because mm -hmm. these things 
are often passed over when we want to take a very shallow or surface level view of sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now as you see on Twitter or social media, um, this idea of like support for sex workers, which is great, but not a full comprehension of like the system at hand. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, yeah. Well then, I wanna really thank you for allowing us, you know, in this space to at least dive in more deeply to the issue. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. For having this conversation. I love talking about it. <laughs> in furthering our education on prostitution policy, I definitely recommend the reading by Deborah Satz, her essay, Why Some Things Should Not Be For Sale, The Moral Limits of Markets. In this chapter, Satz goes into how prostitution and sex work puts sex workers in states of extreme vulnerability. One of the main arguments in her text is that prostitution is a way our society upholds and perpetuates sexual inequalities. And there are two types of inequalities that um, can be seen here that are often conflated with each other, but are in fact different and have different dimensions to them. The first dimension concerns inequalities as a respect to distributing income, wealth, and opportunity. And then the second dimension of gender inequality that doesn't necessarily get um, put in the limelight as often is this dimension of inequality in standing in society. For example, there are negative stereotypings between the jobs and responsibilities a woman can assume. Um, as opposed to what a man can um, uh, freely or have more opportunities to have as a job. Second, there's a hierarchy between men and females where women are more subjective to violence by men um, than is the reverse. And we see this in the way porn depicts um, videos and images of women being subjugated by a male uh, power as a way to assume more control. And then the third mechanism in which um, women have been time and time again being seen with a lower standing in society is through the marginalization. So here, um, Sat says people who are marginalized are excluded or absent from, quote, the core productive social roles in society. And these um, these uh, phenomenon of of women being barred from obtaining uh, central and important social roles, like in healthcare. Although this has been this aspect has had a huge spike in growth over the past decades, um, puts them in a position where they have to be then dependent on a often male uh, patriarchal structure of dependency. It is both distributional inequality and status inequality that interact, but they're different. And these both have to be put in deep consideration as we think through um, prostitution policy. 
So Alex did a really great job of highlighting the key features that prostitution policy ought to have in order to have a robust protection uh, for sex workers. And in her chapter, Markets in Women's Sexual Labor, States also outlines some suggested regulatory principles um, that policy should include. The first um, is that women sh uh, should not be forced either by the law or by private parties to have sex against her will. That means that in at any point uh, in time, the sex worker has the right to refuse um, the giving of sexual experiences to their client um, as a way to attain or preserve their autonomy. Another one is that um, no woman should be denied access uh, to protections in the form of contraception um, or treatment for sexually transmitted diseases, for example, AIDS. And Satz argues to also abortion, at least in the first trimester, making sure uh, sex workers uh, have access to these resources, protects their health um, from the innate violence um, and vulnerability that the current nature of prostitution work um, risks. And then the law should also increase agency, Seth says, by ensuring women um, have enough information uh, before she agrees to the sexual intercourse. And that is also um, tied to the fact that given all the information, she is able to opt out of that experience. There's also um, a, suggest a suggestion of minimum age of consent laws to make sure that um, women or whoever, whatever party is uh, consenting to the sex work, that they are competent enough to understand the risks and make an informed choice. What is important to realize is that all of these principles are working towards different aspects of protecting the woman's right to her body and her choice to either engage or disengage from sexual um, experiences, as well as her reproductive capacities. Another reading I highly, highly recommend in our continuing education on sex work, prostitution, um, equal rights for all genders, as well as um, a black feminist theory is Audre Lorde's The Uses of Erotic. And in this essay, she talks about how the word erotic and erotics are conflated always with um, sexuality or porn. And here I want to read this really, really um, key paragraph that highlights the ways in which androcentrism, this idea that um, the male experience is placed at the center as what is considered normal and often good, um, has affected our lives by creating sexual inequalities, um, I'm sorry, sex inequalities, and as a result, um, sexual violence in many communities. So here she refers to um, erotics um, as a resource that is, quote, um, been taught, 
and to be vilified, abused, and devalued within Western society. On one hand, the superficially erotic has been encouraged as a sign of female inferiority. On the other hand, women have been made to suffer and to feel both contemptible and suspect by virtue of his existence." End quote. The idea of erotics has been weaponized against um, women when in fact it is the power Lord argues that um, it enables us as women to feel deep, deep fulfillment of pleasure. Lord refers to pornography, quote, emphasizing in sensation without feeling, end quote. And it is important to keep that thought in mind as we try to critically um, examine the ways in which society responds to um, popular culture, culture and implicit sexual messages that are created on very racialized bodies um, that stand in for um, the actual potential to respect um, people of color. In many ways, Audre Lorde is asking us to consider the erotic as power and as a source of deep knowledge, a source to draw and reclaim where we can start to negotiate and fight for justice. For it's when we feel the deepest amount of joy, we understand our capacity for it and how that capacity and its fullest extent ought to be protected and respected by other persons.